0: Good afternoon, friends. Tis another truly grand and glorious day in the best little city in America. We're going to spend a couple hours here on the Patrick Lally Show, engaged in some energetic and entertaining conversation on uh, news and politics. We've got some... Health and wellness, we got some fake news, the real fake news. We got some economics maybe, recreation, it's all in there. It's all in there. You're going to want to stick close. We're going to talk about some sports, good stuff. Uber producer Dan Peters is not here today. He is currently poring over statistics and trends in the NBA G League as the voice of the Sky Force your zoo Falls Sky Force. The Force play Iowa Wolves tonight at the Sanford Pentagon. Tip-off is at 7 o'clock. You can listen to Dan's play-by-play, his expert play-by-play here on Information 1000 KSOO. Thanks for spending some time with us today. As always, you can listen live on the radio, Information 1000 on your AM dial. You can get us at uh, KSO.com on your desktop and or laptop, streaming that baby. Or, and this is, if you're out and about, this is the recommended method because you, you can get out of the car, you keep listening, you get back. It doesn't matter. You can take it with you wherever you want. You just, right through your phone with that KSOO mobile app, now available in the all the platforms, iOS and the Android, for you Androiders out there. It's a, it's a nice app. You get notifications. You can see the stuff we write and all that. Plus, you're right there. Just one touch and bam, you're listening to KSOO and this program from 3 to 5. Wow, did I have a great weekend. Fabulous weekend. It was a live music extravaganza. Of course, I was uh, telling y'all last week during Rich Show Week about the big upcoming concert. Uh, at the Orpheum with Rich Show. Four decades of his fine songwriting, local music at its best, uh, and it was really fun. It was a cavalcade of stars on stage. It was a reunion of uh, generations of Rich Show fans there at the Orpheum, and we had a marvelous, marvelous time. Uh, really uh, good. that The lineup just kept changing and changing. Started off with the big 15, 15 people up on stage, horns and strings and backup singers, and uh was really marvelous. Um, kind of started stripping it down. They played some No Direction songs as a three-piece, Rich on bass. That was fun. They did, uh, he took it down further. And, and I think, you know, as I've said, I've seen Rich many years, and I recommend his album, That Was the Future, This Is the Past, to all you... Uh, Folks out there, go to different folk, different for more information on that. Oh, and I suppose you can buy it at your finer va- vinyl stores or November and Last Stop, or I'm sorry, Total Drag, Total Drag. I don't know if they have it at Last Stop CD shop. Probably they have vinyl there. Anyway, highly recommended piece of music. Also comes with a 41 song download, so you you admire the vinyl if you like to play it on the digital. The show, as I said, was marvelous. Uh, Lots of changes and surprises. I think, though, um, maybe the highlight for me, I think the most emotive part for me, and as I've seen these songs performed many times, was a very stripped-down acoustic version of uh, Beautiful Hair off the Violet Global Village album, which was, as first presented, a big powerful song, big pop song. Uh, Rich just played it with the acoustic guitar and, uh, Mary Campbell on keyboard. And it was, it was, um, it was really impressive. And, uh, I think for me, that was a moment that, that elicited more, uh, emotion from the evening than some of the other stuff, but it was all marvelous. Another highlight was, uh, where's the beach towards the end with, uh, it was just a a gas. I really liked the working poor, uh, pieces and some of the I think some of the best news out of it is that you'll be hearing more uh, working poor uh, live performances coming up and that'll be fun. A lot of really great musicians on stage, uh, too many to sort of go through, but it was tight. it was fun, you know uh, they they all seemed to have a really good time. Uh, the crowd was very appreciative and uh, really really nice night. thanks to everybody who came out. And, uh, it was great seeing everybody. I saw a lot of people I had not seen in a long time, people coming home for the show, uh, former band members of riches, friends of mine. And it was really a marvelous evening. Um, I do want to point out that I also, it was a big back to back night. I went to the drive by truckers last night and I had not seen them live before. They've been here a few times. This was another Andy house extravaganza. Uh, and Andy brought them back, um, I don't think he originally planned to have back-to-back <laughs> nights, but that's how it worked out. And they were, uh, Lily Hyatt, who's John Hyatt's daughter, was fantastic. Uh, I had some issues with her guitar player, but I'm not going to go into that. And then uh, Drive-By Truckers, who were great. They were fantastic. So just a, a really good weekend of music all around. And, uh, you know, and I want to take a moment here to thank Andy Howes for all he's done. Andy's not a, a full-time music guy. He, he is a hobbyist. At some measure, but he's uh, a huge force behind different folk records. He's brought in so many good acts to our community that we wouldn't normally see. Uh, Jason Isbell among them. Uh, drive by Truckers now a few times. I mean, he's done other shows, and I, we we really it's it. Thank you for providing that, Andy. I really really appreciate it. And uh, best to you going forward and keep doing it, man. We really the music community in this this town really appreciates what Andy House has done to support a lot of other people's art and yeah. ventures and we look forward to a lot more. I'm really waiting for that next Jason Isbell show. That's high on my list as you all know. I've gone I'm completely fanboy for Jason Isbell. That's all there is to it. We have got a fantastic show for you today. We'll learn why the FDA wants more women to get involved with clinical research trials. Laura Black of Sanford Research is here. This is some fascinating stuff. It's hard to get women to uh, get involved in research trials. And as you know, women are half the population. So that's important. The Boon Man will be back for Weird Friends. Uh, We've got a very exciting announcement there. Uh, We'll talk about real fake news, the weekly installment from the AP on actual fake news, which is always fun. Jeff Harkness who is our college sports analyst, who is from ESPN 99.1. We're going to talk about the halfway point in the Summit League basketball, men's and women's basketball. My Coyotes had a disappointing night in Denver, the men. We'll talk about that. And I'll have a PL and l statement just after the break. Today's topic, I, I, see it as a, I see it as an assault on teachers. That's what I'm going to say. An assault on teachers in the legislature. That's all coming up on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. 316 on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. Oh yeah getting closer to free on the p n l statement here on a beautiful monday afternoon on information one thousand k s o o oh man sunshine it's all good all we all we gotta do is you know stay vigilant stay vigilant people and guard your personal freedom your civil rights your Human rights, and watching our government at work as usual. First, a couple things I noticed: uh, the Cleveland Indians are taking uh, the Chief Wahoo logo off of their game uniforms in 2019. It's going to take them a while, you know, to get that patch, all those patches off. That's a lot of you know seam breakers. So, after lengthy discussions between team owner Paul Donlan, Dolan, Dolan, and MLB Commissioner rob manfred the indians are taking the extraordinary step of shelving the big tooth smiling red-faced character which has been used in various expressions by the team since 1947 however the team will continue to wear the wahoo logo on its uniform sleeves and caps in 2018 let's not move so fast and they'll still sell merchandise featuring the mascot in northeast ohio the team must maintain a retail presence so that MLB and the Indians can keep ownership of the trademark. Okay. Whatever. It's good. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. I don't know why it's going to take them another year, but it's a good thing. It's 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 a racist logo. I mean, there's just no way around it. FBI uh, deputy director leaving his post ahead of the planned retirement. Uh, You heard on the news, FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, a frequent target of President Donald Trump's criticism, who led the Bureau for months last year following the firing of James Comey, is leaving his position ahead of previously planned retirement this spring. Uh, This is, uh, it's pretty big news. Uh, Obviously, the, the, the president has been accusing him of all sorts of things. I mean, for the love of God, his wife's a Democrat. Come on, people. Even though the man voted in a Republican primary, in presidential primary in 2016, Clearly, his wife's candidacy in, uh, I think it was Virginia, as a Democrat. That's clearly evidence that the FBI is fraught, fraught with uh, revolutionaries. Seems to me that McCabe is leaving just to get out of the way as a distraction from the core issue. Um, The Trumposphere, as you know, is engaged in a systematic effort, systematic effort to undermine the FBI. I'm I'm concerned about that as much as anything. I want to know the truth. What's the truth here? That's why we have the special counsel. And I understand it's a politically motivated thing, but that's why we have it. We want to know the truth. But what I really want to talk today, talk to you good people about today, is a South Dakota issue. Bringing it home to us here in, out on the plains, in the Sunshine State, the Mount Rushmore State. So... I've talked about uh, House Speaker Mark Mickelson's legislative efforts recently and his broader efforts to uh, fight back against, you know, the people, the voters, by trying to change um, who can who can uh, suggest a constitutional amendment, who can help pay for things in in the ballot initiative campaigns, yada, yada, yada. And I, I have concerns about that. I have concerns about that. But he's also got these, and I, I mentioned this a little bit on Friday, he's got these uh, efforts that are trying to essentially tear down the ability of educators in this state to collectively bargain. I'm pretty sure he got rid of, uh, as I recall, we got rid of the uh, collective bargaining at the tech school level last year. Now he's moved on, and of course we've talked about his uh, his uh, proposal to eliminate collective bargaining for the board of regents, which is the public universities. He's also, um, you know, so this is like a parallel campaign he's got going on against education. First, it's the voters then it's the teachers. That's not how the speaker would characterize it, of course, but I think that's the long-term effect. Uh, the common theme of this package of laws is that he really doesn't like collective bargaining, which is what we, you know, unions that's, you know, collective bargaining—the effort, the ability of people in uh, similar situated uh, uh, jobs or employer to bargain as one unit. Well, here's how his effort is manifesting itself. He wants to eliminate collective bargaining for all employees for the Board of Regents. That's the university professors and instructors and some other folks who work for the Regents. Eliminate collective bargaining for K through 12 administrators. He didn't he he said recently he didn't even he didn't even know they did that. That's the principals and vice principals at the elementary, middle school and high school level. His reasoning here is they're the bosses, why should they they should be managing, not not bargaining. But in essence, they're just another level of employee in the education system. Ban the use of school district funds to pay any expenses related to union work, which includes time a teacher may take off to represent another teacher if they're a if they're a uh, union officer, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. What is the end of the result of the, all these proposals? It's to eliminate unions, Crush the ability of teachers and administrators to negotiate pay benefits for themselves. pay and benefits. Mickelson and others will portray this as fiscal responsibility. that in a state where dollars are tight, we're all in this together, people, and collective bargaining only inflates the cost of the labor. I believe that's a flawed philosophy on uh, a couple different level, levels, but perhaps the most striking is that in a state where we already pay educators at the near at near the lowest levels in the country, we got up out of the basement, but we're in danger going back there. The idea that educators on any level are overpaid or over overcompensated with benefits or what have you—it's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous to say, it at some measure, that the problem with education in South Dakota is the. Uh, South Dakota Education Association or the uh, Higher Education Collective Bargaining Unit, COHI, the COHE. It's, it's just, it just doesn't make any sense. They'll also say it gives the state and local leaders the ability to react to needs in the system and reward top reformers, et cetera, et cetera, under some mythology that will improve the quality of the instruction for students. Again, it's a myth, okay? This is a myth that that will improve instruction. Now, I believe in performance-based pay. I I believe in that, that some teachers could achieve a level of quality that would allow them to be paid more money. But I don't think you can do that at the the, uh, detriment of the whole. You can't do that. What this will do is marginalize instructors who don't agree with... Political or social patriarchy, especially at the higher education level. It suppresses dissent on campus. It homogenizes the demographics of the teacher class. And it allows for this dark creep of gender imbalance, racial and eth- ethnic inequality. It eliminates the notion of any sort of recourse for educators if they are, in fact, wronged in the workplace. But those are subpoints. The single most egregious result of these proposals, if passed, in my opinion, would be to drive the best educators, elementary, middle school, high school, and university level, either out of the profession entirely or out of the state, or just keep them from looking at us, just scratch us right at the beginning. And long term, I don't think it's good economics. Driving out quality educators will reduce the quality of education. That's self-evident. That means a workforce less able to adapt to the demands of an increasingly competitive global economy. To maintain our quality of life over the next generations, we need better, smarter, and more innovative workers. Not a stagnant and satisfied population with an archaic view That's what's good enough for my parents. What was good enough for me is good enough for my kids. We already have trouble recruiting at the university level instructors and professors to South Dakota because of the low pay and benefits. If you're a young, newly minted PhD or even just a master's degree level person looking to further your profession, looking for your first teaching or research position, why would you even consider a spot where you know the prospects going forward aren't good? You will but only if you can't get a job somewhere else. So what will South Dakota be left with going forward? A choice of the leftovers. When all the other states, private institutions, and schools have picked over the candidates, we're never going to pay competitive wages with Minnesota or Iowa in higher education, that's true, or in K-12. through and there, and there are other elements that make people move to one place or another. Not everybody's going to move to South Dakota, as it turns out. But if you basically start by telling professors that we don't value what you do, then you're increasing the chance that your professors won't value you. Why should they? Taken together, Speaker Mickelson's agenda can't be interpreted as anything other than undercutting educators in our state under the guise of saving money. That is not in the best interests of South Dakota. That is the bottom line on today's PL. Agree or disagree with me, send me an email, Patrick at KSO.com. You can follow us on Twitter at P. Lally Show. Get on the Facebook Live and chat with us there at the KSOO page. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Boon Man on Weird Friends. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000, K-S-O-O. 3.34 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000, KSOO And it's Monday afternoon, which means we get our visit, our weekly visit, when, when everything's going right and the stars are aligned, from the Boon Man. Boon Man, I, I wanted to play a little an
1: early, uh, an early slanche to you. Yeah,
0: well, I'm feeling it already. Here
1: we go. Oh.
0: Yeah, I yeah, this, uh, this is how I start to get through the winter. I start playing Irish music in January and it makes me feel better.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, uh. The way to get through it, man, whatever you need to do.
0: <laughs> now, in past years, in past years, it, we would be looking forward to a a gig, a a, a yeah. performance from a little known but Highly, highly, promising, promising and sought-after uh, brass outfit called the Brass Holes. Yes, are we doing that this year? And
1: it, and it, it has been a while now. Do you remember when the Brass Holes originally came together?
0: 1975. Uh, it was you and me and <laughs> Kunkel and not Kunko. originally. No, not
1: originally. Originally. Oh,
0: okay. No,
1: but the Brass Holes in their current. Oh,
0: that was about, I don't know, it's been a while now, several years ago.
1: 2011, seven years ago.
0: Really? That is a yeah. while.
1: Cinco de Mayo, 2011.
0: Our first gig. First and, public gig. So the Brass Holes is essentially uh, the Boon Man as, as the leader and, and trumpet player, lead trumpet player, and me on the, on the tuba. And then whoever else we can um, trick into being in the band.
1: Sort of a revolving door of, of cohorts.
0: <laughs> well, the Boonlet, the Boone Jr., he's been he's been yeah, pretty consistent Yeah, he's, been, he's been
1: solid in there. Also
0: on trumpet. And we, I, I've I always, I try and tell people the philosophy of the Brass Holes, but I can never quite pull it off as well as you can. As it was presented to me early on in those those dark days of 2011.
1: Oh, we'll, show, we'll show up and play
0: yep.
1: until... Um, we run out of songs that we know, or until we're asked to leave.
0: <laughs> Which is, in either case, is not that Whichever long.
1: Whichever comes <laughs> first. No, it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long for either one of those things to happen, or both. Uh, but, you know, it was always established with, uh, with, with the thought in mind that it was brass instruments only,
0: mm-hmm.
1: no woodwinds, No, uh, you know, can't, can't really cotton the woodwinds. And even some um, brass
0: instruments that we just, I mean, there's never going to be a, a French horn.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, as an example, for the, from the woodwinds, like, you know, uh, why is a bassoon better than an oboe? I have
0: no idea. Is a bassoon
1: an- burns longer. <laughs> what, do, what do you call a clarinet player with half a brain? I don't know. Gifted. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just the attitude that we have towards woodwind players. Yes. And uh, you know uh, but, you know the same thing is true with uh some brass instruments as you made the made the uh uh the the you know the clarification there as well.
0: Yeah, no horns. You know,
1: we like trumpets, we like trombones, we like uh tubas but no French horns. Mm-mm. No French horns.
0: Yeah, i mean, be just silly.
1: But you know you know how you make a trombone sound like a French horn? How's that? You stick your ha- hand in the bell and play wrong notes. <laughs>
0: That's exactly right. I've never understood that. What, what are you doing with your hand over there? I don't
1: know. That is just wrong. I have, in fact, I do have another joke related to that that I cannot tell. Ah, good. But, uh, if you come see the brass holes, I'll tell you. I'll tell <laughs> That's
0: you. right. So, so here's, here's, you've been yeah. hinting at this, all right? I have so been. We all, traditionally, we have two gigs. We have two sets, yeah. one Irish, one for Cinco de Mayo. And, one
1: Hispanic set, one Irish set.
0: Yes, and some of those aren't really Irish or Hispanic songs, but they kind of no. sound like them <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> when we play them. So, are, what's the uh, yeah, deal? I mean, they are. Yeah, I know.
1: Well, I can't. Uh, you know, it's, it's early, but it will be a downtown venue that we're talking to. Uh, mm-hmm. There is another musical organization here in town, a group that plays an actual uh, reputable. Uh, group that good. many people have heard of that we have played with before so if you're a uh, if you're a brass holes groupie you'll know who i'm talking about uh but we're in the early stages of planning that but if the weather is nice what the plan would be is we would play uh we would just set up downtown and wander around again with that thought in mind of we would play a few songs a, uh, or, or until somebody said, move along, you can't do that here. Um, and <laughs> Where's then, your permit? Uh, <laughs> yes. And then, and then retire to an uh, adult beverage institution yes. downtown. Uh, and uh, to be named later, as things develop, we'll talk about that. But uh, we would uh, set up and, and play uh, along with another group and enjoy the festivities of Saturday, the 17th of March, a.k.a. St. Patrick's Day. And yes. it is on a Saturday this year, so that really works out well.
0: Yeah, we have to do it. I actually, you know, uh, my tuba-playing brother, we are, we are the, mm-hmm. per, quite perhaps, perhaps the only family <laughs> in the region with two oh. tuba-playing brothers. But uh, I, I asked him if he was interested in maybe sitting in with the Brass Holes, and uh-huh. he, oh, I got another gig. He's playing accordion at, the, at Woodgrain with, I don't know, some chuckleheads. So, that's out. Huh. I know. Dist. Is that your younger
1: brother or your younger, younger brother?
0: My younger, younger brother. Yeah.
1: Oh, I did not know that he played the tuba. Yeah. Okay, well, there you go. Oh, that's right. right. I've got uh, I've got a long list of people that want to sit in with the band, and I did get another drummer, uh, because, you know, drummers are really, really hard to hang on to.
0: <laughs> Apparently for us.
1: yeah. I think for everybody, it kind of reminds me of what, what.
0: Spinal uh, tap. What do
1: drummers usually get on their IQ test?
0: <laughs> What's that?
1: Drool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's no reason. There's. It's no. Maybe it's it's maybe, no.
1: It's Maybe no that's surprise. why we can't keep a drummer. <laughs> maybe that's why. It's maybe also
0: maybe we no surprise why we were ostracized to a corner of the band room away from the girls. <laughs> 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 this may have start to be telling yeah, very well could uh so st patrick's day it's coming together i i like the idea yeah. of uh here's the deal so this year for the st patrick's day you know before when you wanted to be in the parade you just showed up you know you got a button yes you had to pay the three bucks for the button then anybody could be in the parade this year you have to go through a yeah. permitting process which we clearly would not we would not be allowed in the parade so i don't oh, want the background the, check
1: alone yeah, would, yeah so, so
0: i i like the idea of just bandit you know bandit band even like before the parade because we've done that before and that's fun
1: just wander the sidewalks set up play walk yeah yeah that's that will be the plan and then make our way over to uh the 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 gig site yeah we call it in the business yep and when i say the business i mean the industry absolutely and uh so yeah that's that is the plan and we'll have further details on that and uh Probably have to dust off that brass holes uh, Facebook page.
0: I did that the other it's day. The Facebook
1: is that still around? Yep, that it's, thing.
0: Facebook still operates, although marginally. Yep. But yeah, there is yep. a, bla- uh, a the brass holes Facebook page, and we have our yep. own logo, so we're legit.
1: Maybe we'll get T shirts. Who knows? I mean, we could go crazy on this deal. You
0: know what we need? Um,
1: so we'll, uh, we'll work out uh, we'll work out the details.
0: You know what we need because it is because of the way our logo is. It's got the skull and crossbones on there. We should get uh, a big black flag with the logo on it that we can wave around, you know? Like
1: Sort of the Jolly Roger.
0: Yes. Revolutionaries.
1: Call it the Jolly Rancher.
0: And then we just need to then we just need a flag girl. Ah, finally. Finally there's a good use for a flag girl.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> oh, man. yeah,
1: okay, that these are these are million dollar ideas right yeah, here. Every one of stuff.
0: them. Well, we're looking forward to it. Let me know when rehearsal is. I mean, What passes for rehearsal? Yeah, we
1: should do that. I mean, you and I, anyway. Uh, You know, the other guys. uh, You know, they can sight read the music because it's so simple. It is. um, Yeah. So, but I'll leave you with one parting shot here on tuba players. How many tuba players does it take to change a light bulb? I don't know. Three. One to hold the bulb, and two to drink till the room spins.
0: (laughs) I don't have Dan Peters here today for the rim shot, but that's perfect. (laughs) Boon Man, thank you. We'll see you soon. All
1: right.
0: Coming up next on The Patrick Lally Show, we're going to explore some fake news. That's right, real fake news, the stuff that is demonstrably wrong. This is The Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 345 on The Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Lamb on the Prairie, Rich Show. I love this song. Oh man, I just can't stop. Once it starts going, I just can't stop it. We'll just kind of leave it on in the background there for you. That, of course, is on That Was the Future, This Is the Past. The Rich Show retrospective available at record stores near you and on different folk records. All good people, all local. Local music, local radio, the way God intended. So that's what you need on a Monday afternoon, people. You need a little adrenaline pumping, rock and roll from somebody who understands the way life is around you. So that's good stuff. From time to time on the program, I, I like to play a little bit of, or I like to talk a little bit about the not real news. That's not real news from our friends at the Associated Press. They put this out about once a week. And uh, this so it comes out on Friday. So this is, came out last Friday. It's a look at what didn't happen this week. A roundup of some of the most popular but completely untrue headlines of the week. None of these stories are legit, even though they were shared widely on social media. You know the social medias. The Associated Press checked these out. Here are the real facts. Not real. Charles Schumer. You know Charles. Senator Charles Schumer from New York. The Senate Minority Leader, he received $500,000 donation from a pro-illegal alien group just before the vote. The facts. Schumer did not receive donations from the groups Immigration for Everyone or the Council for Alien Rights and the Southern Border Defense Fund before a January 19th congressional vote that led to the three-day government shutdown. There's no indication the organizations even exist. And the senator's office says it didn't receive donations from the groups ahead of the vote. A satire site, a satire site. That's what, if you're publishing fake news these days, you just say, oh, we're a satire site. And satire is fine. I like satire. They published the original piece that was shared on multiple other sites at the beginning of the shutdown. Not real. Also not real. Breaking. George Soros paid three Democrats millions to vote for the shutdown. The facts, the billionaire liberal philanthropist, a frequent target of false stories, did not have a political action committee pay three U.S. Democratic senators to vote against a bill to keep the government open. The senators named in the piece, Fred Markin, Lois Kearns and Gerald Harmon, do not exist. Those are not real people and a Soros spokesman spokesman called the story literally made up. The piece was published by a satire site called Ladies of Liberty and subsequently shared by many others without any disclaimers. Not real. Irish woman legally marries a 300-year-old pirate ghost. Oh, I wish that was real, though. I mean... What if an Irish woman legally did marry a 300-year-old pirate ghost? The facts. Amanda Teague, who has worked as an impersonator of Johnny Depp's Jack Sparrow character from Pirates of the Caribbean, made global headlines last week when she claimed she had legal paperwork certifying her marriage in 2016 on a ship off Ireland to the ghost of a Haitian pirate. Oh, that is marvelous. Marriages to people who are dead are not recognized anywhere. Even in Ireland. <laughs> and in Ireland, legal paperwork confirming a marriage is only issued after both parties present current passports and birth certificates to a registrar's office in person. So Amanda Teague did not, in fact, pull off the Johnny Depp. Also, not real. Melania Trump bans White House staff from taking flu shot. The facts. The First Lady didn't keep White House staff from getting their flu shots as claimed in a widely shared story by the website Be Aware. Melania, Melania, not Melanie, Melania Trump spokesman Stephanie Grisham said the story which was which the site itself labeled a conspiracy is quote absolutely false. The story also misrepresents the safety and effectiveness of the flu vaccine and I'm telling you people get the flu vaccine. All right? I'm a huge advocate of getting your shot. Don't the flu is bad news. So, you know, if you think that they're you're getting sick, none of that. Just get the shot. Not real. Oh, I'm sure there's people disappointed in this one. Friends reunion movie trailer has fans going crazy. The facts: the three minute trailer for a reunion show. Reunion of the hit show that ran from nineteen ninety four to two thousand four has garnered more than thirty-eight million views on YouTube, prompting headlines around the world asking fans to watch, but no such movie is in the works. The video was made by a fan. Are there are there fans of Friends? Are there still? Does that is that a thing? Really? <laughs> it splices together clips from the show's actors in more recent projects, including an episode of Courtney Cox's Gougar Town. Now, alright. If you can mistake uh uh Courtney Cox in Cougartown for Courtney Cox in Friends, you, you are not you're not paying attention, my friends. In this particular uh episode of Cougar Town, Matthew Perry guest starred and scenes from they also used scenes from Matt LeBlanc's show episodes. Mm, the those shows are all doing really well. Really well. Anyway. This will make you feel better. There you go. This was really great last Saturday night at the Rich Show record release party. I will get over this my euphoria from saturday eventually probably today but for now we're gonna listen to a little bit of lamb on the Prairie." After the news and weather, we're going to talk with Jeff Harkness of ESPN 99.1 about Summit League basketball. That's USD and SDSU, men and women. It's going to be great. You're going to want to stay right here. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 357 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And that's Rich Show, boys and the band. Hey, everybody, coming up February 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, that is this weekend. This is a sure sign that winter is nearing its apex and will soon be leaving us. It's the Winterfest of Wheels at the Sioux Falls Convention Center. That's a It's an indoor car show. It's got cars and motorcycles and trucks, uh, unique stuff, premier vehicles, They've been seen in your movies, on your TV, magazines. Ladies, there's a ditch your man room. I wonder what's in there. The the Raffles. There's going to be all kinds of stuff. Proceeds benefit cure kids' cancer 5 to 10 p.m. Friday, 10 a.m. to 9 p.m. Saturday, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. on Sunday. Tickets are 11 bucks. 12 and under, you get in free. Take the whole family. What a great time. I always love that show because you just hang out all day and it doesn't matter what's going on outside. Our friend Jeff Harkness from ESPN 99.1 coming up after the break. And then we'll talk to Laura Black. She's from Stanford Research. We're going to talk about why there need to be more women in clinical trials this is The Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. 4.05 on The Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Then we bring in our college sports analyst, Mr. Jeff Harkness from ESPN. and we do this because we're halfway through the Summit League. We are, yes. The season. And we know that we're building to the big Summit League tournament in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Mm -hmm. at the Denny Sanford Premier Center. That's become a
2: huge, huge deal. First first weekend of March. It'll be the 10th year this year, 10 years this year. Do you you work any of that? Um, that I have in the past. I've done um, the last... Five, six for Midco. Um, I'm stepping aside this year because they have expanded their nightly coverage. Uh, Anybody who watches Midco knows Kelly Stewart now, former USD player, has taken over. They have a -a five-night-a-week show. Mm -hmm. that they have decided to expand to take over their special events, which will include my old job. Which uh-huh. was hosting all of the pregame, halftime, and postgame stuff. Uh, and so, I
0: knew I'd seen ya, yep. you. Yep. So know.
2: I will be. Uh, I'll be doing some stuff for ESPN, but not as much as I had been doing in the past for Midco. But it's a it's a great move for them, and and I and I wish them all the best, and and uh, had great memories of the six years that I did stuff for them, and and uh, it'll be great. It really is. Before we get to the particular tournament yeah. league, we that tournament has they've
0: done a, such a yeah. great job of building. The attendance has been incredible, but also the just the corporate sponsorship and everything that goes. It it has to be one of the most successful league tournaments in the country.
2: Well, and it really has been the the the, the key that has unlocked the gate to give Sioux Falls the opportunity for so many things. First of all, it really uh, was one of the reasons why the Premier Center was built. I mean, let's Mm -hmm. face it. Yeah, they didn't pick twelve thousand seats out of a hat. That number was specifically mandated as the minimum that they needed to have to host NCAA events down the road. And so they knew they needed a facility of that size. They knew the old arena was not going to get it done in terms of attracting bigger events. So they knew, and with the success of the Summit League tournament, it made it more possible for people to get behind an event like that because they knew what we could benefit from. it. So now all the Division II stuff we've been getting, the women's regional we had a couple of years ago, hockey, all this stuff all traces back to the success of the Summit League tournament. And frankly, the Summit League... I know people applaud them for coming here. It was really a no-brainer. They were in right. Tulsa before that, playing in a high school gym <laughs> the last couple of years that it was yeah. in Tulsa, and getting, you know, four, 500 people, maybe a few more if Oral Roberts was in the tournament. It wasn't exactly like they took a huge financial risk bringing it to si- to Sioux Falls. The city rolled out the red carpet for them. I'm sure they made it worth their while with some incentives in that. But it has been a, ma- a marriage made in heaven. For those two, uh, the, the Summit League and for the city of Sioux Falls.
0: The only place that could really threaten that, I would think at this point, well, Omaha, maybe, but right. um, would be Fargo.
2: Yes. Uh, let's talk about Omaha first. The reason why I firmly believe that Omaha will never get the Summit League tournament is who cares in Omaha? Right. Really? I mean, you got Creighton there. Yeah. It, it just, nobody cares in Omaha. And so, yeah, it would be sexier, if you will, to have the tournament in Omaha, You'd have a bigger facility. You'd have a lot more empty seats, and it would look like the old days of the Summit League tournament yeah. where nobody showed up because nobody, nobody cared. Fargo, yes. They have the, the Shield Center up there now, which is on a par with the new facility down in Vermilion, but you're not going to get 10,000, 12,000 people for a game. I, Patrick, have you ever seen a basketball game in the Fargo Dome?
0: Oh, it would be the worst. I have. I've <laughs> called
2: basketball games in the Fargo Dome. Oh, it is down. horrible. It's not as bad as basketball in the Dakota Dome. Nothing is bad. worse than basketball in the Dakota Dome. But it was It was not far off. And so I, they would try to maybe trot out the Fargo Dome. The NCC, when the, the NCC was still around, they had a, a postseason tournament called the NCC 4. Yeah. And they played it up in Fargo a couple of times, and I did the games on TV. And um, it was an okay setup for a big venue, but it was not anything like you're going to get here at the premier center. And so I think we're, as long as we bring in the numbers we're bringing in, they're not even going to consider taking it anywhere
0: else. Yeah. And there's, it shows no signs of abating because, and this is why I wanted to bring our teams are really good. Yes, they are. Yeah. So here's the number
2: men's and women's teams, South Dakota, South Dakota state, a combined 25 and three in the first half of the summit league.
0: That's amazing.
2: And two of those three losses were to each other.
0: Yeah, they eventually have to play each other. Yes,
2: the, the, the state men lost at USD, the USD women won at Frost Arena. Now, how insufferable were you last week on this show? It was pretty insufferable. <laughs> I was
0: actually, I was actually pretty restrained because uh, uh, both Dan Peters and I are USD alums and yep. USD band alums. So that means you have oh, to boy. sit through a lot of sports. Uh, Dan has the USD fight song queued up. <laughs> So we play it quite a bit. Um, it was a good week for the Coyotes last week. It was. And then, it, let's talk about the women first. Yeah. So uh, the women, they were both undefeated, right? Yes, in the were. conference play. They were
2: undefeated in conference play going into that game. Yes.
0: And uh, USD women went up to Brookings and, and beat them. I mean, they just flat beat them.
2: Yeah. Uh, it, it was close, but... they. Um, it was a tie game after the first quarter, and then USD did what SDSU does to most teams, which is figure things out in the first quarter, and then at the second quarter, go on a run. The Jackrabbits have been doing that for years, where they'll let yeah. somebody hang around in the first 10 minutes and then just completely run them out of the gym. And that was what the Coyote women did. They went on a 12 nothing run to start the second quarter and then put SDSU on their heels the rest of that game. And then, coming out of the, the, uh, the break at halftime, hit two threes in a row to really, again, kind of send SDSU reeling. Now, the, the Jackrabbit women did come back. Made it a one-point game with four minutes left, but never got the lead. Hmm. Frost Arena is as tough a place to win as any place around here. You And I watch post-game press conferences with coaches that go in there. They all say, I don't know how you win here. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma couldn't win here. Mm-hmm. Louisville barely won at Frost Arena. And so you get behind, you get you, you you get ahead, and then all of a sudden SDSU starts to come back with three thousand people in the stands. Right. You're going to lose that game more often than not. And so for this for the Coyote women to withstand that run that the Jackrabbits made out it was pretty impressive.
0: And so that sets them up pretty well. And they went on uh, the 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 Coyotes went. Next game and uh, one at Denver, yep, throttled yep. them, yes,
2: because they, they, they've now started the second half,
0: yep. And so, SDSU women also had a good game this weekend
2: up at Cross, <laughs> they, right? they bounced back slightly, yeah, winning at 105 49 against Fort Wayne, yeah, Fort Wayne. They, they uh, the Jackrabbit women again, and, and, I, and I talked to Aaron Johnson earlier today, the, the head coach, and I asked him, Were you wondering how your players would respond after that USD game. you said, absolutely, I was wondering how they responded. respond. Mm-hmm. They responded by scoring the eight, first eight points of the game and then sixteen of the first nineteen points. So it was sixteen to three Ugh. right out of the gate against Fort Wayne. And then they won 105-49.
0: That's poor Fort Wayne. Yeah. It I is. mean that's not that's just not what you want to see. And there
2: are some bad there are some bad teams in the Summit League this year. Some really bad teams. In the women's? Three of them on the women's side yeah. with only one win so far in conference play. Ugh.
0: Who's that? That is uh,
2: Omaha, North Dakota State, and Fort Wayne. North Dakota State didn't even make the tournament two years ago. I'm yeah. trying to remember if they made the tournament last year. Omaha is interesting because Omaha, remember, they were the ones that knocked off USD mm-hmm. in the women's tournament last year. Yeah, that was painful. And they had they were the five seed, and they had a really good Season last year, and you thought, hey, they finally have have kind of broken through now. Well, they lost Michaela Shaw. Uh, she graduated, their top player, and they just have not been able to figure it out since she graduated. So, right now, it's State in the U and everybody else kind of bringing up the rear. Western Illinois, who did win the regular season last year and the tournament, first South Dakota, right? Uh, first non South Dakota team East. to do either one of those things in a long time. They struggled a bit, but they've kind of figured things out now. They're kind of a game behind the Jacks and the uh, Cots. But right now, it looks like, once again, we're on a collision course, SDSU-USD, again, probably playing in the championship of the Summit League Tournament. We've seen it happen at least a couple of other times before.
0: Yeah, you don't you don't want to presume things, but it's looking pretty
2: good. Right. Uh, right now, the state women are concerned because Maya Selland. Who is their uh, top incoming freshman, former Miss Basketball in South Dakota. She's been hurt. She missed the USD game. She probably will miss the games again this week. Hmm. Uh, they need to get her back. Um, the Kyle women were missing J.C. Bradley for a couple of games, one of their starters, but she's back as well, and they've been getting a lot of great contributions. It, it, they had, they've had nine different players lead them in scoring Jeez. so far this year. Well, who
0: was the player uh, who got the sixth year of eligibility on a hardship and then couldn't do it. Yeah,
2: that was, uh, that was Kaylin um, uh, Duffy. Yes, the, very good. Fr- from Rapid City. And, and, her, and her younger sister, Kira, is on the team. She has
0: picked up the slack. As she like to
2: say. has, yes. They've got some great young talent to go with, some some good senior talent. Jasmine Tromboli, who's another one of those Aussies. Remember, they had Nicole Seacamp Nicole mm-hmm. from Australia. Jasmine came in at the same time. She missed all of last year with an injury. She's playing well. Kate Liveringhouse had 18 points in the first half of that game against south dakota state and so she's really coming along and they've got some great young players as well this madison mckeever who's a sophomore she's one of the top defensive players in the conference and so they've got a well-rounded group down there and it's familiar. gonna
0: be a, it's gonna be a fun tournament yeah we're gonna come right back with jeff harkness our college athletics analyst and talk more about the summit league we're gonna get in with the men and See what happened to my coyotes in Denver this weekend. That, that's, that's all coming up next on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. 419 on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. Got off the rich show train there a little bit for some English beat. We're here talking with uh, Jeff Harkness, the, our college athletics analyst. From ESPN 99.1, our sister station, right across the hallway. How come you didn't get to go to the Super Bowl? Apparently, everybody else from 99.1 went to the Super Bowl. You
2: know, I've been to my two Super Bowls oh, as a okay. kid. And so uh, I would, uh, I, you know, I had a chance to go to the Super Bowl the last time I was in Minneapolis. Redskins uh, Bills back then. And um, I could have gotten my credential. And then they said, oh, yeah, by the way, um, you won't be actually in the Metrodome. Uh, there's a <laughs> secondary media tent set up. And I'm like, wait a minute. No. I'm going to go all the way up to the cities for the Super Bowl. And am I going to be in the venue? Yeah, I'll stay home. And so I passed on that
0: one. Yeah, that's, that's not good. You're in overflow seating.
2: Yeah, no. Like, my, go- my claim to fame is that my dad and I, because we had Ram season tickets growing up. And, of course, a number of the Super Bowls early on were in L.A. Yeah. We were at Super Bowl Seven, Dolphins finishing off nice. their... Their undefeated season against the Redskins that year, the last time anybody's ever run the table. We were at that game. And then I had a chance to go, a few years after that, I had a chance to go to Steelers-Rams at the Rose Bowl Uh, And that was the last Super Bowl I've been to, but uh, it was not nearly what it is now because that back then, up with people was doing the halftime show. (laughs) 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 There were no
0: wardrobe malfunctions, so it was not
2: this major multimedia production that we're doing now for the Uh, halftime show.
0: Nothing against up with
2: people, no, no, love up with people. Things have just changed, right?
0: Uh, Let's get back to USD and SDSU. We're going to talk about the men now. So huge. Let's just face it, USD. Throttled
2: stage. They did, especially in the second half. Especially in the second half.
0: Now, yeah. in some ways, that's great because it's fun to watch. Mm-hmm. It's really fun to watch the Coyotes throttle the Jackrabbits and <laughs> anything. But I, I'd also, you know, it causes your concern because, like, you know, it, it just you start. I don't know if it's overconfidence or you know, it just these things have a
2: way to swing. This was a six-point game at halftime, and, and at halftime, you didn't really think. This is going to be a blowout. You figured it was going to be your typical State U game. I mean, look at the game last year down at Vermillion. Yeah. Retelling Hughes hits eight threes for SDSU. Matt Moody goes crazy. It's mm-hmm. back and forth. That's what you'd expect. Mm-hmm. And so many of the games at Frost Arena have been the same way. You don't expect these games to be 19-point games. You just don't. But what USD did in the second half, 18-3 right off the bat, coming out in the second half, they had SDSU on their heels. And mm-hmm. they had SDSU playing uncharacteristic. They had him taking shots early in the in the uh, in the shot clock. They weren't in position to rebound, and so state. And this is an amazing stat: State did not have a single offensive rebound in the first half of that game. That's unheard of.
0: That is terrible. They usually, just did usually not play fall play into
2: the... one at least. Yeah. not a single one. And so, um, you know, USD out rebounded them. Matt Mooney had thirty. Uh, Tristan Simpson had twenty. You know, so there's and there's fifty points right there. Those two guys combined for eight three pointers of the ten that usd had and so it was just uh it was just it was a butt kicking i mean just a good old-fashioned butt kicking but the flip side of that is as 18 19 20 year old kids you think you're hot stuff after that (laughs) yeah that's right And you got more games coming in boy did usd get theirs on saturday
0: Like go to denver i mean denver's not a terrible club
2: no they're 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 middle of the road they're four and four but they just stunk up the joint they did yeah they well they got behind early joe rosga personally scored the first 13 points of the game he out he by himself outscored (laughs) the coyotes 13-3 in the first few minutes of that game
0: what is he like eight and a half feet tall he's just a little
2: punky guard (laughs) yeah nothing special but you know they can score and and and, and denver's a a team that can score the basketball but uh usg just came out flat and craig smith i talked to him earlier today and he said look we had a week where we played our best game of the year Mm -hmm. followed up by our worst game of the year
0: It's definitely their worst game of the year. Now, I'm just going to go ahead. You know, NBA teams used to go in and play Denver mm-hmm. the Nuggets and just lose famously. Yeah. So I'm just going to throw it up to. Uh, well, there's altitude. the
2: altitude thing. That's always a possibility. But I don't think that. It, that shouldn't affect you in the first few minutes of the game. No, you shouldn't. <laughs> maybe, maybe toward the end, but in yeah. the first few minutes, that's right. just that's just you not not being there mentally.
0: Touche. Uh, the state recovered though. Yeah, right. They did. They, they played did. up at Frost this weekend. They right? fro
2: and, and and they had a they had a nail biter. They had they almost let one get away from them though because they oh, had really? a seventeen point lead on Fort Wayne at halftime and let Fort Wayne get all the way back <laughs> in it. In fact, Fort Wayne had the lead in the final minute of that game.
0: Oh, I did not know that. Yes. I missed
2: that. Yeah, State, State blew a 17-point halftime lead against Fort Wayne.
0: That would have been awesome. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> Wow. Come on. Uh, maybe. We, we, so here's the thing, Patrick, and here's what I tell my SDSU and my USD friends. You want the other team to win every other game they yeah. don't play you. Because when you do beat them, then you're beating a good team.
0: That's right. You don't want them to be just right. middling around. So all of this sets up, so both teams uh, in both uh, genders yes. are the best in the league. They
2: are. Yeah, the, the state right now is 6-1 in the conference. USD's played one additional game. They're 6-2. and two. They both finished 6-1 and one in the first half. Uh, so if they did finish tied, obviously USD would get the tiebreaker because they would win that head-to-head mm-hmm. at this point. But there's a lot of basketball left. USD's, they've got a tough, tough week. They've got to go on the road for two games. They've got to bus eight hours to Macomb, Illinois ah, on Thursday.
0: That come on and,
2: and play a really not good Western Illinois team that is capable of of doing you know some 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 interesting things. This is a team that went just one and six in the first half, but they're nine and three at home, and so they're a much better team at home. They've got the leading shot blocker in the conference. They've got a really good freshman in Kobe Webster, who you are going to be hearing a lot about in the years to come. and uh, And then they got to turn around in forty eight hours later they got to play up in Fargo. And so that is a horrible road trip just from a logistics standpoint because there's no easy way, A, to get from Vermilion to Macomb. And there's really no easy way to get from Macomb to Fargo. Now, the women did it in reverse. The women went up to Fargo first. They did this Mm -hmm. road trip in the first half. They went up to Fargo first, and then USD chartered them, got them a charter flight from Fargo to Macomb. Uh, why aren't we doing that? I, for... I don't know if the men may be doing that or not. I'm not sure. Let's, I do know they're busing awesome. to Macomb. That part uh, I do know. That's ridiculous. Um,
0: but all of this sets up, if they finish 1-2, whichever yep. team wins the regular season, right. if they do that, both teams on both sides are are set up. To both meet in the championship that of would the be Summit League Tournament yes. in Sioux Falls, South Dakota.
2: I should mention that while USD is on the road for two this week, the Jacks are home for two this week against Omaha, who they scored 101 points on the first time around. Oh, and good. then they get NDSU on uh, on uh, Thursday. And so they get them two nights before the Coyotes play them. And, so, and again, NDSU, I really believe, outside of the Jacks and the Coyotes, I think NDSU is the one team... That could be the spoiler in all of this, and so it'll be interesting to see how these two teams play against them. Remember, the NTSU was the only team that beat USD in the first half mm-hmm. of the season, and so we'll we'll see uh, we'll see the intensity of these teams. It'll be a good test for both of them this week.
0: Well, they better get it together when they come down to Frost because we need them to beat them. I don't, vo- I, I I hate the Bison almost <laughs> as much as I hate the Jackrabbits, but it's gotta happen. Jeff Harkness, he is the <laughs> college. Athletic Summit League analyst (laughs) for us from ESPN 99.1. Jeff, awesome stuff. Thank you very much. Thanks, Patrick. Anytime. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk to Laura Black about uh, women in clinical trials. She is with Sanford Research. That's coming up after the break. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 433 on the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. And we are very pleased to have in the studio with us right now, Laura Black. She is a RN with Sanford Research. And uh, Laura is the Director of Oncology Clinical Trials. Laura, thanks for being here.
3: Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: So, uh, the director of oncology clinical trials. What what does that mean, Laura?
3: Sure. So the director of oncology clinical trials and and the role has morphed a little bit um, into on- non-oncology as well. So everything not cancer related, but really uh, it has to do with making sure that the clinical trials at Sanford across the footprint, so not just in Sioux Falls, but at Fargo and Bismarck and Bemidji, are run in accordance with uh, regulations and and that we're able to complete the projects in a timely manner.
0: So how did you come to have this position? You're you're an RN. You went and and just started out as an r n the same old i did tell us tell us how where'd you go to school and where are you from that kind of thing
3: sure yeah it's a it's a lot of serendipity, but i so I went to nursing school in Northwest Iowa at a community college uh came to Sanford when it was Sioux Valley fifteen years ago worked on the floor for about four years um the first year I spent doing basic medical surgical kind of everything encompassing. Um, and was really looking for a challenge at that point. And the nursing director uh, steered me towards delivering chemotherapy, wanted me to work with the oncology patients. Um, And I I went ahead and I took that opportunity and it's kind of all escalated from there. So I worked uh, delivering chemotherapy at the bedside for a few years and then got into cancer clinical research as a clinical research coordinator, and really have just hopped um, through different roles in the department since then, Picked up a master's degree in public health along the way, um, and have taken more of an administrative role. So, what's
0: well, impressive?
3: It's been a lot of fun.
0: Um, so, oncology—that is—has uh, to be difficult work. Um, day in, day out, you're dealing with people who are really struggling with wh- how long they're going to live. Essentially, uh, how did you uh, how, how did you learn to deal with that, and what was that experience like? Uh,
3: it, it was very interesting. So as a younger nurse, so I was in my early 20s when I worked on the floor, I think it teaches you a lot about life and you really learn how to develop those coping skills. Um, I would say that, yes, it's absolutely a hard place to work. But what I tell people is it's very fulfilling at the same time. People allow you into a very private part of their life um, and you're able to develop relationships and and contribute to what they're going through. So. It's really just striking that balance and having healthy coping mechanisms and healthy stress relief and all of those good things that we talk about really in any role.
0: Well, and sometimes, a lot of times, people live a long time. And that's kind of the amazing story about oncology in the past since you've been in it, right?
3: Uh, absolutely. Even the last five years when we think about um Cancer and what it means to have cancer. We're we're steadily moving towards cancer as a chronic disease instead of cancer as a terminal illness, and and that's because of the research that we do. So incredibly fulfilling in another way.
0: So now you're in clinical trials, uh, which has to be uh, quite exciting because you're dealing with further trying to advance the science of saving people's lives. So uh, what? How do you get people into the trials?
3: Sure. So most of our trials at Sanford are for people who have a diagnosed condition. So we work with providers, so uh, physicians and nurse practitioners, um, to open these trials so that they're aware of them when a patient would come in. If they think that a patient might be a good fit for it, then we have one of our research personnel, most likely it's a research coordinator, visit with that patient and kind of go through what all of what all of the trial entails, um, go through the consent document, go through risks, all of these different things. Um, and then actually, we just team up with the, the physician. The research coordinator teams up with the physician and And we walk side by side with the patient through the trial. So that's generally how patients hear about trials. But as you probably can imagine, our population is much more internet savvy and and they're very much wanting to be part of their medical decision making. So we will get patients who call um, from within our area and then also from around the country that want to participate in trials. And then we have a little bit different workflow that we follow that way.
0: Yeah, because sometimes people, their family members or whatever, get very active in terms of trying to find solutions and do people think sometimes oh it's a clinical trial so it's new it may work better
3: absolutely absolutely so really the way that we try to think about clinical trials is another treatment option so it's a state-of-the-art treatment option it's something that you wouldn't have access to if you weren't part of a clinical trial that's not saying that it's for sure going to work, but it gives you a chance that you wouldn't have outside of that. And so, patients are are very um, interested in those options and just knowing the state of the science, especially in cancer and how quickly things are moving. Patients want that chance to try the next best thing or what we think is going to be the next best thing.
0: Do you have to temper their expectations? I mean, oh, is absolutely. that difficult?
3: Yeah, it is. I think and I mentioned this, the informed consent, when we go through an informed consent document and the process, it's really talking about, you know, we anticipate that this could help you, we can't make any promises. I mean, we, we try to have those conversations, um, but there's definitely an element of, of patients hoping that there will be something for them. So we just, to your point, have to temper that and make sure that they know there's no promises, but we feel confident that by the time it's come to a clinical trial that we have some good data that it may work.
0: On the other hand, it's just because people are calling you wanting to be in these things doesn't mean you have it's not easy necessarily to get people. How hard is it? And uh, we're going to talk in a little bit just about the difference in genders, but how hard is it generally to get people to say, Yeah, I, I'll do that?
3: It really depends on the disease type. Um, those folks that have a more serious disease sometimes are more willing to be part of clinical trials. Um, and then I think the other piece is really generationally, parts of the country. There's so many factors that go into a clinical trial, Um, wanting to be in a clinical trial, and I would say it really boils down to education. So how good are we doing at telling people why a clinical trial is important, what it means to be a participant or a volunteer, what protections you can expect, um, all of those sorts of things that we're, we're really trying to work hard on so that patients can be educated about what it means to be in a clinical trial. There's a lot of scary, you know, historical examples and connotations with clinical trials. So we're, we just need to dispel a lot of that.
0: We're talking with Laura Black. She is the Director of Oncology Clinical Trials at Sanford Research. And we're going to come right back here in a moment and talk more about what you should know if you are want to be in a clinical trial or are thinking about it and some of the differences and needs and how what the future looks like. This is The Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KS. 444 on the Patrick Lally Show Information 1000 KSOO And we are continuing our conversation with Laura Black She is the Director of Oncology Clinical Trials for Sanford Health which is a fabulous title We already discussed that Uh, We're talking about clinical trials and uh, the science behind some of the uh, efforts to cure disease and uh, have people helping out with research. Um, We talked a little bit about the, um, Laura, the uh, difficulty sometimes in getting people to uh, agree uh, to be part of a clinical trial. Uh, What should I know? I mean, what should I know before I agree to do something like this? Is there, I mean, there there's probably dangers of some measure but what what are the key points for me if i need if if there's something i could be involved with
3: yeah absolutely it's a really good question so key things that you should be aware of is who's running the research study that helps you to legitimatize what's what's happening making sure that it's a good organization it's reputable research it's not um, something that is you know disguised as research, but it's really something else. So looking at the organization, um, making sure you're asking questions about what the potential risks are, what your other options are, uh, how long you'll be in the study, what they can expect from you, really uh, privacy, confidentiality, some of those things that you would think about um, if you were a patient asking a, a provider a question about a treatment plan outside of a research study.
0: So we were talking a little bit, There's there is a real... Uh, growing effort to distinguish between the genders in terms of research, too, which is a little surprising because I would have thought they would have always done that.
3: Yeah, it is surprising. So it was in 1993 that the FDA lifted their moratorium on women of childbearing age being part of clinical trials. So if Hmm. we think about that, it's only 25 years ago. Um, which now, you know, we're kind of revitalizing that work and, and not necessarily only thinking about including women in clinical trials, but looking at the data differently. So if women don't make up the majority of the clinical trial, do we take that data set away from, you know, the overall data set and look at, were there significant side effects or unexpected things that we didn't see in the overall data? Um, that we need to take another look at to make sure that when medications come on the market, we're we're making sure dosing is appropriate based on gender, um, testing for potential complications, that sort of thing.
0: Because sometimes medicines of all sorts affect men and women differently. I mean, they affect every person a little bit differently. We've talked a lot about using your genetics to determine what medicines work best for you and at what dosage. But it would seem that it's pretty obvious that men and women's bodies are different so that sometimes medicines are going to work differently. Absolutely. So are we seeing that come into the world more specifically as uh, gender-specific medicines, or how does that work?
3: We are. So one example that I think many folks can relate to is Ambien, which is a sleep aid. Um, The active ingredient is in many other trade name drugs as well. But in 1993... I'm sorry, 2013, they uh, the FDA actually recommended that we cut the dose in half for women. And that was based on basically the metabolism and it not clearing as quickly in women, the next day having impairment in driving and, and you know, all of the risks that are inherent with that. So it definitely is becoming more of a practical problem. Um, and, and looking at this in terms of how hormones play into things, how, you know, um, body composition. There's just so many different variables uh, that we're just scratching the surface.
0: And how does that tr- then translate into clinical trials? Do you need more women? Um, how does that what's the fallout there?
3: So as as a country, speaking broadly, we always need more research volunteers. That's the only way that these trials really are able to be done in a timely fashion with science moving as quickly as it is as it is. We need more and more people so that we can complete them before the science is um, outdated essentially, so I would always encourage anyone who's interested um women of course, minorities um the folks that traditionally maybe have been underrepresented
0: I thought you were gonna say more broadly that the nation just needs more women <laughs> <laughs>
3: I'm not gonna go there
0: <laughs> I was gonna say I'm fine with that that's that would I could live in that world um so if if people uh, how do, how can I find out what Sanford's doing you know like I don't currently have an affliction, but if I had something, well, other than the obvious ones, are you doing anything for hair? Because I got (laughs) an affliction there. Uh, You know, how do I find out?
3: Sure. So if you go to the website, uh, there's a search box at the top of the screen and you can type in clinical trials there. That'll bring up our listing. We generally have about 350 clinical trials open at any given time. And that will show you everything we have open across the entire Sanford footprint. Um, If you don't see something there um, and need to look a little bit further, I always refer folks to clinicaltrials.gov, which is the federal clearinghouse for all clinical trials. And that will have information that um, you can kind of review either with your family or physician and then contact information for those study sites.
0: Um, and the FDA does, is that through the FDA? That's part it's of what they the, do?
3: through the federal government.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's probably always best to check with the FDA to make sure that it is, in fact, a recognized trial. Not that Sanford wouldn't have one, but maybe somebody else that you search for on the Internet or something of this nature.
3: Yeah, I would encourage you to talk with your physician. They really can help vet out if it's a reputable trial or not, but there are some red flags. So definitely if you ever get approached for a study where they're asking you to pay a large sum of money or, you know, they're rushing you through the decision, some of those things that just don't feel quite right, then definitely I would take a pause on that and and consult with your physician.
0: It's hard to believe that somebody would have a scam based on, you know, people with cancer but it happens all the time right
3: unfortunately and we're seeing it a lot in the regenerative medicine or the stem cell space right oh, now yeah. um, because there's just not a lot of regulation around that which is changing but yeah it's unfortunate
0: so uh what's next for you you're the director of oncology clinical trials her name is laura black um but, you know w- what are you working on what what do you think is the most exciting piece of your work right now
3: that's a tough one Um, I would say it's probably a split between regenerative medicine or stem cells and applications across the board whether it's orthopedics or or other indications. And then, of course, oncology. And that's just because I'm biased.
0: Um, for, for oncology? Yeah,
3: for oncology. But it's a really pivotal time. And we're seeing, like I said earlier, a big shift between terminal disease and chronic disease. And I think that's going to mean a lot for our population.
0: How much of the clinical trial space is oncology? Because it would seem that that you know, cancer is the everybody's greatest fear at some measure and one of the great killers in our country. But there's a lot of other stuff. But how much is cancer part of the the, the research at uh, at Sanford and, and the trials that you're involved with?
3: Yep. So oncology is at least, if not more than 50% of what we do. Um, and then we fill the gaps in with everything from heart disease to regenerative medicine. Um, really, the, it's, the list is kind mm-hmm. of endless.
0: The regenerative stuff is very exciting because you can potentially – not have a need a you know a new knee or a a new hip or something amazing work there uh laura black she is director of oncology clinical trials for sanford research in sioux falls and bemidji and fargo and everywhere right (laughs) all of it yes do you have to actually go to bemidji yes not in the winter though we try not to okay good uh laura thank you very much for coming in today i appreciate it
3: yeah thanks for having me
0: We're going to be right back after a quick break here. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. (laughs) 4.55 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Hey everybody, there's a very fun event coming up on Saturday, February 10th. The Parrot Heads of the Prairie. Make a Difference 2018. This is a big event. 6:30 to midnight at the downtown Hilton Hilton. I'm sorry, yes, downtown Hilton Garden Inn. It's a beach party featuring music from a tropical rock band Rick Lamb and the Finn addicts. Finn. P-H-I-N, Addicts, A-D-D-I-C-T-S, Thin Addicts, as in like a shark, as in, you know, Jimmy Buffett, Parrot Heads, there you go, now you're seeing it. It's a benefit for Horsepower, the Compass Center, and Sue Wheeler's, there will be a silent auction and raffle items. Tickets are 30 bucks. ParrotHeadsofThePrairie.com is where you can get more information on that, and they are a fine group of people that I've had the opportunity to hang out with on occasion. Not only do they raise money, they're, they have a really good time. As you might guess, being voluntarily affiliated with, uh, you know, the Parrot Heads. So that's coming up next Saturday. That'll be fun. I shouldn't let the day get by without mentioning that State Senator Neil Tapio has officially announced his bid for South Dakota's loan U.S. House seat. This is uh, not unexpected. We've been waiting for this. Mr. Tapio has said he's going to do it. He's got the websites and everything ready to go. So we've just been waiting for the ball to drop on that. So this will be uh, pretty interesting now as Mr. Tapio gets in the race because you've got two fairly established republicans in there already and he's running as a republican, he's state senator from Watertown. You got uh um Dusty Johnson, former chief of staff, PUC commissioner, you got Chantel Krebs who's a current secretary of state, a former state legislator, very both very kind of traditional republicans. And then you got Neal who's uh you know campaigning to Basically against Islam, even though he says that 's not it, and we 'll be seeing a lot more from neil, so but the, the issue for Republicans now really is uh, the danger that that the that the more extremist parts of the party may have some influence in that campaign, so we 'll find out what happens there it 's going to be fun to watch tomorrow coming up on the program. Right here on the Patrick Lally Show. We're going to have Mary McCorkle. She's president of the South Dakota Education Association. We're going to talk about education funding and some stuff that's going on there. Also, the common man will be with us. It's the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000, KSOO. See you tomorrow, everybody.